Chapter Eighteen of The Heron Nest by W. Bert Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Eighteen, The Roadmakers. Like many other old-fashioned country communities, the town of Medway built its roads at quite the wrong season of the year, either in the very late fall or the very early spring saving the so-called state roads none of the town highways were macadamized and the farmer taxpayers demanded the right of working out their road tax at a time when both horses and men could best be spared from the farm so following the early ploughing and planting the road repair gangs were out in full force the taxes on their place was no small burden for the herons to carry and Elias Short, knowing this, determined that the boys should get what he called a square deal with the roadmaster, who hired the gangs and arranged the work to be done at that season of the year. It was all right for Jack to be appointed to a gang and draw his two seventy-five per day. He could, and would, do every bit as much work as any other member of the party of roadmakers, but Billy could used neither a pick or a shovel, and the herons had no team to drive. The sharp Mr. Short introduced Billy to the road surveyor, and that individual saw at once that the young fellow with the withered limb was no ordinary chap, and that he was quite worthy of the confidence Lias had in him. He questioned Billy, explained some points about the work, and then set him over the gang that was to repair the piece of road from the bridge over the creek just on the outskirts of the village to and beyond shorts on farm this appointment was worth three and a half a day and was a good deal of a sinecure for every man on the job knew just about what he had to do there were the gutters to plow out the loose earth to be scraped into the middle of the highway and decently graded and the low places to be filled with gravel brought from the bank opposite short's house there was some little jealousy evinced by some of the men and boys working in the gang over the appointment of billy heron as boss this jealousy would neither have spread or continued however had it not been fostered by the soursbys who of course were in the gang billy proved himself in a single day well able to fill the responsible position and the most of the workmen found him likable although he could not do much for the active work himself his words of advice were helpful every time and his instructions were given so clearly that nobody could really complain the older men saw very quickly that he had a clear head on his shoulders and the work went on apace there were three span of oxen with which to plough out the ditches, and Mr. Sowersby himself handled the plough. His son drove one of the carts that drew gravel from the pit to the places indicated by Billy as needing additional soil to grade up the highway. The gang commenced at the bridge and worked up the hill, because the wash during the past year had carried much loose earth down the cut, clogging the lower ends of the gutters mr sowersby did not make billy any direct trouble but the red-headed bub 
created a disturbance from the start. He sneered at the kid boss and cracked so-called jokes at the expense of Billy's game leg. There were just enough thoughtless fellows in the gang to give young Sowersby the backing he needed to make him bold in this. Billy had intentionally placed Jack on the plow with Mr. Sowersby and Short, so that the big fellow would be far enough away from the red-headed youth to preclude any trouble. He did not notice young Sowersby's attempts to be funny. But when the fellow tried to disturb him by slighting the work, Billy had to take notice. Bub, in the first place, skimped his loads. His cart was never more than three-quarters full. Billy, who kept tally of each load, informed him briefly that he would have to bring an extra load at the end of the day if he wished to be credited for a full day's pay on the timesheet. Of course, that started trouble on the instant, but Billy was firm. Every five minutes you stand here arguing with me about it, I'll deduct likewise from your time, he declared. Don't be foolish. You are not working for me. You're working for the town. Bub found he did not have the popular backing of the crowd on this point, so he dropped it. But he did not drop his flings of cheap wit whenever he was in earshot of Billy. The latter made no reply. Then Sowersby invented another way of tormenting the boss. When he brought a load of gravel, there was mixed with it a number of good-sized rocks that Billy did not dare allow to remain in the roadway, for fear they would work to the surface after the road had settled. These rocks the Teamsters were instructed to throw out when loading their carts. The second time Bub dumped such a load, Billy called him down from his seat handed him a rake, and ordered him to rake out the rocks and fling them back in his cart again. "'If you won't sort over your load at the pit, Sowersby,' said Billy, to the delight of the onlookers, "'you'll have to do it here. Suit yourself.' The laugh was on Bub that time, and he hadn't the pluck to refuse the command when he saw that he lacked public approval for his course. He grumpily raked out the young boulders, flung them back in his cart, and rattled away in a hurry, for he was already behind schedule in his day's work. The innate meanness of the fellow, however, could not drive him to annoy Billy, if possible. When he arrived with his next load, and Billy pointed out the exact spot where he wished it dumped, Bub deliberately pulled his tailboard and poured the gravel several yards from the spot indicated. Then he jumped into the cart again and rattled back to the pit with a satisfied grin. The men spreading the gravel were forced to drag the heap much farther than should have been necessary to fill the hollow in the roadway. It looked as though Billy had used poor judgment in ordering the gravel dumped where it was. The next time Bub arrived, he did exactly the same thing. When the spreading gang came to the heap, they began to grumble, and Billy couldn't blame them. There wasn't a mean hair in Billy's head, but neither was he foolish enough to allow this red-headed young rascal to make him further trouble. When Bub drove down again, 
young heron made sure that several of the spreading gang saw clearly where he pointed to sowersby to dump the load and be sure you get it in the right spot advised the lame youth sternly we've had quite enough of your carelessness bub scowled at him drove his horses over the spot and then deliberately dumped his load at least four yards further on now said billy you can take your choice of being sent to the road surveyor with your time or you can get down and rake this pile to the place here where i told you to dump it i've had all the nonsense i'm going to stand from you ah you go on snarled the red-headed youth i dumped it where you told me to we won't discuss it i've told you what you can do there's a rake if you want to repair your error otherwise you're through i'm fired am i cried bub getting down threateningly but the bystanders would not stand for bub making any personal attack on a fellow who was little more than half his size and a cripple at that you've had your fun said andrew gaby a farmer's son from farther up the road you've been kidding all day bub might's well pay the fiddler for your dancing take the rake sonny and set to work advised a gray-bearded workman i reckon the young boss has got the rights of it there seemed nothing left for young sowersby to do and he did it but he no longer tried to play silly tricks on billy heron the expression of his face when he looked at the young overseer of the work was threatening and evil billy however refused to notice him save only to see that he did his work and carted his full complement of loads to make a day's stint there was no more trouble that day and billy said nothing regarding young sowersby to jack but the story spread the other members of the gang rather enjoyed seeing the youngster as they called billy get the best of the red-headed one so jack got the story that night through lias short and before the gang started to work the next morning jack went to old sowersby himself mr sowersby he said firmly i don't want to speak to that boy of yours for if i do i know i'll have to lick him and i guess you've seen enough of me to know that it won't be a very hard job for me either but you tell him from me that if he makes my brother any further trouble or even makes too many funny cracks at billy's expense he won't even find a joke in the almanac funny enough to laugh at for a month i'll give him the biggest kind of licking and don't you forget it i don't know for sure that you'd be able to do that heron said the old man but i'll see that there ain't no more fooling on bub's part i told him so already so you needn't be bullying the breach between the Sowersbys and the Herons was naturally widened because of this, and it did not end with this armistice, either. There was more to follow, and there was an explosion that very day at noon. Some of the men who lived nearest, Lia Short, for instance, went home to dinner. Some brought their midday meal with them. Pearl Mary came down from the cove with a hot dinner for Billy and Jack. The oxen and horses were feeding on one side of the road, and the men on the other. 
the ox carts stood in the roadway on the finished part just at the top of the steep slope that led straight down to the bridge over the creek at the bridge there was a sharp turn where a horse path led down beside the wooden structure to a ford where one could drive in and water his horse without waiting to reach Bigup's trough before the grain store in the center of the village the farthest cart tail to the hill stood with its wheels chalked with a couple of rocks billy had been down the hill looking over the gang's work to see if it would pass muster with the surveyor some of the younger fellows were fooling around this cart and as billy started back he saw pearl mary with a pail standing on the high bank and waving her hand to him when billy reached the cart only bub sowersby stood by it the other fellows had passed on don't be in a hurry limpy said bub grinning your sister can wait a minute can't she say you was going to fire me was you and you sick your brother on to me too ah where you're going billy had been walking deliberately on but the long-armed fellow reached out and grabbed him dragging him behind the cart billy struck him and struck hard it would have been quite impossible for him to run had he wanted to but he could fight there was nothing matter with the development of his biceps and bub found out that fact and in a most surprising manner within the next few seconds billy rained a shower of blows on the fellow's ugly face blood spurted from poor bub's very prominent nose both eyes received attention from billy's vigorous fists and one of bub's front teeth was loosened and his lips were cut he had probably never been so surprised in all his life before he had considered the youth with the crippled leg a weakling and billy's patience and dislike of strife had led bub to believe that young heron could not protect himself now he was half blinded by billy's blows and was too enraged to care what he did billy had struck the back of his head on the bottom of the cart and was dazed for half a minute when he could scramble to his knees the heavy ox-cart was jouncing on its way very swiftly so swiftly that the young fellow did not dare try to throw himself from the cart handicapped by his crippled limb he could not leap over the heavy wheel he dared not drop over the tailboard and throw himself flat upon the ground to let the cart pass over him the heavy tongue of the cart might give him a fatal blow if he tried it his only hope was to creep back get out upon the tongue itself and drop off and could he do this before the swiftly moving cart reached the bottom of the hill the vehicle if it did not swerve to one side before getting to the bottom would either crash into the guardrail of the bridge and be flung into the creek or the wheels would take the path right down to the ford and billy might be dumped out on the rocks in either case there was a wild hullabaloo of voices behind and a single glance assured him that most of the gang of workmen had already started in pursuit of the runaway ox-cart jack was in their lead and he was coming down the road in great leaps but his brother was well aware that none of them could aid him in the least that game leg was what bothered him another fellow would have quickly got out on the tongue of the cart and dropped off he 
had to be so careful. The cart bounded down the incline, increasing its speed with every revolution of the big wheels. Billy was jerked from side to side. He was almost flung out of the box half a dozen times before he managed to get his body on the tongue. Then he was astride of it, clinging to the wagon's body and being almost shaken from his hold every time the wheels bumped over a pebble. He hesitated, and who would not in his position? Had he possessed two strong limbs, he could have flung himself sidewise and leapt into the road, but that weak leg held him back. And then suddenly he heard a yell ahead. He caught an instant's glimpse of a man beside the roadway. The cart was already at the bridge, and it had swerved to one side. It was driving down the steep path to the ford. Jump! yelled the man beside the road. Billy saw him stretch his arms wide apart. A swerve of the cart's tongue, and the young fellow was fairly shot into the air and plunged head first into the arms of the stranger. Like a stone from a catapult, he collided with the man, and both went to earth heavily, while the cart plunged down into the creek and overturned. Billy scrambled to his feet out of the ditch, but the man who had acted as his buffer lay where he had fallen, and to the young fellow's horror a trickle of blood showed from beneath the man's head. The stranger's eyes were closed, and he was evidently unconscious. "'Get some water, quick!' cried Billy to Jack, who was the first to arrive at the scene. Jack had no chance to gasp out his own satisfaction that his brother was unhurt, but ran to get the water, bringing it in his cap. Billy dashed some in the man's face. The fellow showed some signs of returning consciousness. They lifted him up, and Jack bathed the wound in the back of his head. Oh, ouch, muttered the man. That smarts lit up. He ain't dead, is he? cried Andrew Gaby, who had likewise arrived at the foot of the hill. They don't talk much when they're real dead, grunted Jack, without looking up at the questioner. Nothing broken but his head, I guess. Poor fellow, murmured Billy, who had made a swift examination of the man's body. Couldn't you have jumped on me easier, boss? demanded the man whose fortunate presence just at that spot, and at that time, had undoubtedly saved Billy Heron from serious injury. Ugh! Don't slop that water around so careless. I might drink some of it by mistake. Ow! Feels like there was a hole in my head back there. Your feelings are all right, then, said Jack. The hole is there. Hold still till I bind it up with my handkerchief. Billy began to look at the fellow with a deeper interest, and with an interest not aroused by the incident. Something in the fellow's tone and manner of speaking touched a chord of memory in the young man's mind. He scrutinized his personal appearance while Jack put on the bandage. Clothing and physiognomy both pronounced the man a tramp. He possessed a most disreputable outfit of broken shoes and ragged garments. His face was bloated and his eyes bleared from drink, but his cheeks were cleanly shaven, and his heavy, grown mustache was neatly trimmed. At the very moment Billy recognized the fellow, Pearl Mary herself came hurriedly into the group which had gathered at the spot. Oh, Billy! 
cried she. Are you hurt? The man with the roan mustache glanced up at the frightened girl. Gee, here's the girl herself. Billy heard him murmur. Then his eyes closed, and he collapsed on Jack's arm. I'm afraid he's hurt more than you think, Billy, said his brother gravely. What will we do with him? End of chapter 18